Welcome to the First Unitarian Universalist Society of San Francisco's Sunday Morning Worship Service Podcast. For more information or downloads of previous audio services, go to uusf.org. While you're there, check out our monthly newsletter, Weekly Flame, and much, much more. attending a conference, a minister's retreat with workshops, and we're asked as part of the workshop on homiletics, on preaching, to to critique each other's sermons. A pattern is about to emerge. One preacher who serves a congregation in Texas begins his thoughts with what will become his predictable refrain. After each person speaks, he says, well, I asked myself as you preached, have I been saved? And I wondered, what does he mean when he asks that question? Or what does it mean for us in this day and age to ask it? If you thought Joe's assignment was tough this morning, what would it mean for a preacher to save their people in 2,000 words or less every week? I never did get to ask the preacher himself what he meant, but out of curiosity, I will admit to going online after the conference and listening to at least one of his sermons. Though, to be honest, that didn't put me any closer to the answer. Maybe he was hoping we would answer the question for him for real. Salvation has been a word that religion, that religions, some of them at least, have been obsessed with for millennia. Our tradition, the universalist half, was founded on a debate over that question. More than a few good people, including some of our theological relatives, were martyred over it, and certainly in moments of fear or on the brink of war or in the trenches, the question of whether you or I were saved was one our ancestors fretted about as much sometimes more than whether in such times they had enough food in the larder. What does it mean? For me, The word means most, if I had to summarize it, some sense of being made right with God, or what we know as ultimate, and very often involved some act of choice 
some moment of time that put us into right relationship. A baptism, an acceptance of some version of God as your guiding force. And there is a long tradition, too, of such choices, such moments happening in incredibly dramatic ways, often unbidden. Even those who were not raised in a traditional religious household probably know, at least from works of literature and history, some stories of these moments of salvation. How about the famous light on the road to Damascus moment of Paul's? Here is a refresher for those who haven't memorized the story. There is this man, he's in his late 20s or early 30s, as far as we can figure, named Saul, later to be renamed Paul. He's a passionate man and a lover of the rules and a strict interpreter of right and wrong. And one day he is walking from Jerusalem to Damascus. He's on a mission. Today it is to arrest some of the followers of a man named Jesus. You might say Paul is zealous in his faith, but his zealousness is not a virtue. I would say it has impaired his moral judgment. For instance, it has led to his participation in the stoning of at least one of the followers of this man Jesus so far. But on this road, on this day, Paul is saved from all of this. His life turned around and upside down when headed to Damascus, all of a sudden, a bright light appears to him and to his companions, a light so bright it turns out that it leaves him unable to see for three days until another person appears unbidden, telling him they have been sent to heal Paul by a voice also, and doing so. And back in that moment of the blinding light, Paul hears a voice, and it asks him, why do you persecute me? And somehow, the way I guess you know these things, he knows that voice to be God's. And when he asks it its name, it announces itself by the name Jesus. And so Paul, persecutor of human beings, and, well, he becomes a builder of a new branch of religious communities. And instead of killing for his faith, he will later die for it. That's one story from the Christian tradition that tells of what it would call salvation which for me isn't so much that this man, Saul, becomes a Christian, but that his heart is reoriented. In this case, toward a more fruitful relationship with what you might say is all that is divine. That means not just a reorientation of his relationship with the God of his understanding and of the ultimate aim of his life's work, but a reorientation of his relationship with human beings, too.
Maybe we all have some moment of dramatic reorientation that we remember. It's rarely, I think, a literal experience of being blinded by the light. Often it happens in way less public moments. Maybe it's an epiphany in the library or a brush with our own life's fragility, some close call and a second chance, or hitting bottom. There are so many ways we find ourselves sorted out that begin in a moment or a chapter of life. Harriet Beecher Stowe talks about the power of friends, a particular gift of a friend who can reorient us. She has that gorgeous notion of how to describe what we're being saved for and directed back toward in these moments. Every leaf and flower, she says, as you remember from the reading, to which the growth of a plant is constantly urging it. And this ideal, this perfect form too, toward which each of us is leaning, yearning, urged. And there are these rare people, she notes, who come into our lives, she says sent by God, but precious offerings no matter what the source of their arrival, who see that beauty and fruition toward which we were meant to grow, even and especially when we cannot see it, who see beyond the rubbish of our imperfections, as she calls them, and love the ideal in us, and you might even say love it out of us or love us into it. Maybe some of you know those kinds of salvation moments. Maybe you've had them. I think I have. For me, there are times when someone gently, usually gently, holds me metaphorically by the shoulders with love and points something out I need to see, and in doing so, turns me on my axis and sets me off in a slightly new way, a better direction to get me where it is I too know I need and want to go. Sometimes these folks even walk with us for a while to give us courage and company. There is a poem by Roy Croft that is often read at weddings. I want to share it with you. It goes, I love you, not only for what you are, but for what I am when I am with you. Not only for what you have made of yourself, but for what you are making of me. 
I love you for the part of me that you bring out. I love you for putting your hand into my heaped up heart and passing over all the weak and foolish things that you cannot help dimly seeing there and for drawing out into the light all the beautiful belongings that no one else had looked quite far enough to find. I love you because you are helping me to make of the lumber of my life, not a tavern, but a temple. Out of the works of my every day, not a reproach, but a song. That kind of love, that kind of seeing deeply into one another and the promise of its life, seeing a life beyond its limits and its mistakes, that is a kind of salvation, isn't it, when someone offers it to us, when we offer it to others? This believing in one another. Finally, in this talk of salvation, I think that sometimes, too, the reorientation of our life that we're talking about comes out of pretty dramatic upheavals. Earthquake moments, I want to call them, not that I am bidding anything to literally shake our earth these days, because heaven knows we are in a world that is quaking quite enough right now. These earthquake moments, as I'm calling them, they're the times, you might say, when life pulls the rug out from under us and the tablecloth out from underneath the banquet that we have prepared and we're ready to sit down at and everything shakes and some things we thought could be trusted to be there for us topple. These are these hugely disorienting, disturbing, scary moments of our lives, sometimes of our shared life. And as you already know, perhaps from your own experience, these times, too, have the power to reorder our insides as they upend the world outside us. Because, for better or for worse, times of upheaval, well, they're often times when some new vision has a chance to break in. In the rebuilding, of life in and after such times. After all, we, well, we have to be asking questions about what we will rebuild and how we're going to do it and what values and goals are going to guide that, that process in all of the exhausting choices we make and what we will leave behind in the rubble and the aftermath and what we pick out of it and dust off and carry it with us treasured into the next chapter. 
I don't think life has a lot of earthquake moments, and they are rarely actual earthquakes and almost never pandemics. More often they show up as painful but not uncommon personal tectonic shifts, things that you know well, like like a divorce or a breakup, like life after the loss of someone that we loved dearly, or maybe the loss of something we love, maybe during an illness, or if we lose maybe some ability that we once had that was important to our identity and our life activities. Sometimes being fired from a job cracks the foundations we thought we stood on and wakes us up to big questions. For me once, it was a despair that was like a depression that wouldn't lift, that in retrospect was telling me the life I was living couldn't go on the way it was. Something, something happens in those moments that shakes us to our core, and often in doing so demands that we rethink the plans we had and the assumptions we were making. And not surprisingly, often results in a powerful reorientation and reordering, and often toward fuller life. Of course, this isn't why this reorientation toward fuller life that often happens after and in the aftermath of such moments. It isn't why such disorienting things happen to us. I don't believe for a second they are sent by some God who thinks that we need to be broken to be remade. Sometimes heartbreak and upset are the natural consequences of the way we were living. Inattentive to love, we find ourselves in a breakup. Inattentive to our bodies, we find ourselves ill, for example. But other times, they're just random. A car runs a red light. A cancer mutates in the cells of a loved one. No matter what, though, rending good from such times Turning things toward fuller life in the midst of them can feel good. It can feel like and be a stubborn and gorgeously faithful way to live in the face of hardship. It remains to be seen what reorientation of our individual and shared lives will be what we take away from the hardship and the losses that by all estimates we will certainly all suffer in the months ahead. One thing we do already know for sure though is that in a very dramatic way we are in this together Every neighborhood, every city, 
all nations, each and every continent, the world. And all of us are already in the business of salvation, I think. If you'll let me use that word, I mean we're already saving lives, aren't we? By agreeing to buy groceries for the vulnerable, in agreeing to work in the hospitals and in the streets as our healthcare workers and social workers are around the clock, by lifting spirits in the neighborhood with concerts and wine and cheese in the garage and hikes at six feet apart, all these ways to mitigate loss and find life. So the preacher asks, are we saved? And now I think I know the answer. Yes. We're saved a thousand times in a thousand ways. By life, by chance, by each other, through hardship, in beauty, when loved deeply by friends, even sometimes broken down by life, by faithfulness and stubborn determination too, we are saved whenever and in a lifetime of ways that we are turned once and again and again and again toward fuller life. The thing in us that's urging us toward it. So blessings to us all, and may we hold one another through all the shaking and the upset of these times. And know even in the midst of this, the ideal toward which our spirits urge. And may holiness and happiness await us each and every moment on the way. Amen. Here we go. 525,600 minutes, 525,000 months, oh dear, 525,600 minutes, how do you Thanks for listening to this podcast of the First Unitarian Universalist Society of San Francisco Sunday Morning Worship Service. For more information or downloads of previous audio services, go to uusf.org.